Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder here in the Oklahoman Video Studios in downtown Oklahoma City. It's Friday. We're headed into the final weekend before the big election day on November 6th, next Tuesday. And joining me to set up what we're going to find on the ballot is the Oklahoman's political team, Dale Denwalt from the state capitol, Justin Wingeter, who covers the federal government. And uh, guys, we've been talking about this election, man, really for a year. Um, and it is upon us. Um, and quite a big night nationwide, a lot of uh, things at stake on the national scene. But there's plenty to get into here at the local level. And so we're going to do that. And I thought the best way to do would just be print off my sample ballot and let's run through the races. And at the top of everyone's ballot is going to be the governor's race. That's the big ticket item. Uh, guys, I think a year ago, or maybe a little more than a year ago, if you were to say that you know, Democrats were going to have a, a, a decent chance or a shot at winning the governor's race, we might have thought that is, is not too accurate. That's right. If you had told us a year and a half ago that Kevin Stitt was going to be uh, possibly the next governor, we would have said, who Who's is that? Kevin Stitt? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, just this is a competitive race. I mean, polls have showed it close and, you know, that Stitt has a little bit of a lead or it's been tied. But uh, we're going into the final few days and there's a real possibility that Democrats are going to take the governor's office. Uh, th that's right. You know, he's within striking distance. I saw a poll. Um, uh, I don't know how much weight you could put into polls, but uh, that showed that um, that support for uh, Drew Edmondson, and not necessarily people saying that they would vote for him, but the favorable polls for Drew Edmondson were quite a bit higher than Kevin's did. And there's uh, evidence to show that uh, uh, suburban women, especially Democratic women, mm -hmm. are really enthusiastic about this uh, this race. Um, or about this election. And so, you know, things like that uh, is what get, gets people out on election day. Um, and at this point, uh, you know, we're not talking about TV ads. We're not talking about door knocking. Uh, we're not talking about campaign events. We're talking about uh, getting people out to the polls, mm -hmm. making those last minute calls to voters um, to remind them that Tuesday is election day. And by the way, you can vote early until Saturday. Yeah, ballots are already coming in Thursday through Saturday, early voting. Um, you know, that, the one poll this week, and maybe the one you're referring to, a, a Sooner poll, had Kevin set up by five points, and the author of that poll called it a soft five points. Right. And a few reasons for that. As you mentioned, uh, favorability rating for Edmondson is pretty strong compared to Stitt. Um, Edmondson is leading Stitt in the rural communities. That he's, was really surprising. He's doing well with older voters. Yeah. Um, the Tulsa Metro, he's up by a point. So there are a lot of areas where if these things kind of break towards Edmondson, um, that's how he would wind up the next governor. Listen, when you talk about a governor winning, uh, or a candidate winning a governor's election, those are the things you talk about when they, after the fact, when they win. Um, so, you know, it's, it's reasons like that uh, to, to think that Drew Edmondson isn't out of this, even though he's technically behind uh, five points in a poll somewhere. And, you know, as, as far as polls go, there isn't a lot of polling in Oklahoma like mm -hmm. you see uh, in some of the, the, the bigger uh, states like New York, California, or in, any number of states that have uh, really uh, nationally important races. There's no one helicoptering in or parachuting into Oklahoma to, to find out the mood of voters here. Um, and so, you know, you have to take polls here with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, it's, in the past, we've seen polls be dead wrong, especially mm -hmm. when you look at the uh, lieutenant governor's poll or the governor's poll from 
eight years ago when uh, when Drew Edmondson was ahead over Jerry Askins and Jerry Askins got the nomination for the Democratic nomination. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. Statewide elections sometimes in Oklahoma can break late. Uh, you know, Justin, you and I were talking earlier this week about just kind of the, the viability of polls when you're talking about how do you sell, tell what a likely voter is when you're expecting some people to vote who maybe don't normally vote. Um, but, you know, I, I think... You know, in, in Edmondson and Stitt, you do have very different candidates. Um, they have very different platforms. But I've talked to many voters, you know, that are still kind of torn. And you can see that because you may have a Republican voter or a Republican, uh, you know, mother in the suburbs who's saying, you know, I, I'm not for higher taxes, not on oil and gas. My husband works in oil and gas, or I do. Um, but I've seen what's happened to our schools, and so maybe I'm considering, you know, voting for Edmondson. So you can still, you've seen scenarios where voters are, you know, kind of still kind of torn. Yeah, you, you guys have been talking with voters. So what did you hear yesterday, Dale? Because it seems like what we see in these polls is the Fallon factor, and you can't take that away. The, the Sooner poll that you're referencing had an incredibly low approval rating for Governor Fallon. And we've talked about this before, of course. But that was a strikingly low. It just just blows me away. Were unfavorable. Or, or her unfavorable yeah, rating was seventy five percent of Oklahomans mm. have an unfavorable view of Governor Fallon. Right. For someone, you usually have to be indicted. I mean, you usually have to have a major <laughs> scandal for a, a number that low, and that has to factor into the governor's race. And I think that's why this this is a toss up, basically. Um, but, but I don't want to cut you off. Dale, I mean, you were talking with voters yesterday who had just come out of early voting. Right. Did, that, did that come up a lot? Did education come up a lot? I'm curious what you're hearing. It, it, was, it was really kind of a broad issue. The, the, I, I talked to a small number of voters. But right. you know, the, uh, I talked to independents voting for Drew Edmondson who were really upset about the, the way that things are going. Uh, I talked to uh, a very conservative gentleman uh, who uh, surefire was voting for Kevin Stitt. Um, uh, I talked to another Republican who, who did not disclose uh, who he voted for for governor, uh, but pretty much made it clear that he was uh, in for the conservatives there. Um, but I think, you know, going back to the independent question, there, there are so many in, new independent voters in Oklahoma. Where are they coming from? You know, they can come from anywhere. You know, the, the, you really can't pin them down. And, and I hate to even say, you know, use the, the phrase independent voters to, to classify anyone's political belief. But, uh, you know, independents could break for, for Drew Edmondson here if, if they're not committed to re the Republican Party. Yeah. And, and Edmondson is really kind of running on uh, kind of the spirit that we saw last spring, especially around the teacher walkouts, he was visible there. You know, he's proposing a series of tax increases, some of which teachers were demanding. I mean, he wants to eliminate the capital gains. Teachers were spelling capital gains on the North Lawn of the Capitol. I mean, so he's taking some of those specific requests. I think the big factor is going to be, um, do Oklahomans still think that tax, a higher tax taxes are necessary? I think back in the early spring, they may have said yes, but you know, the legislature passed that historic tax hike, and it was that enough to appease even conservative voters who said, you know what, we do need to increase taxes. Are they now going to say, like, hey, we've done that, the economy's rebounding, Kevin Stead is saying that he can do what Edmondson's doing uh, by not raising taxes. Going back to what you said, Justin, about the unfavorability of, of Governor Fallon, um, it makes you wonder if Kevin Stitt is the only Republican who could have won the governor's race. I mean, imagine a race right now with Todd Lamb in it. And it's probably why we don't see a race with right. Todd Lamb in it, because, you know, the lieutenant governor of Oklahoma, who's going to be closely tied to Governor Fallon. But I even wonder if someone like Mick Cornett, even though he came from Oklahoma City politics and not with state government, 
you know, he's been active in the Republican Party uh, for years. Um, you know, Kevin Stitt, who's never sought political office before, is a, you know, a former CEO. I wonder if he's the only Republican who could have had a, be- a good chance of winning. You could have, maybe David Holt. Yeah, maybe, yeah maybe, maybe so. But even then, I mean, you're still coming, sure. taking yeah. someone from the Capitol. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's going to be fascinating, and I don't, you know, I don't want to make any predictions on, on which way it's going to go. But at this point, four days out, I mean, I think I, I don't think either result would uh, surprise me. Uh, Libertarian Chris Powell winning would, would surprise me. At, at well, this you point. know, let, let's, let's talk about Chris Powell for a second. Uh, you really have to admire uh, admire him. He is the first. Uh, libertarian candidate for governor of Oklahoma, um, he went everywhere. He yeah. was he was not afraid to get out. I when I pulled in to go to the county election board yesterday, who was holding a Chris Powell sign? But Chris, Chris Powell, Powell himself, yeah. uh, you know. And and the Libertarians, um, it's it's it'll probably take them a while to get um, a few uh, more than a few thousand uh, registered voters in the state. Uh, but it's it's that kind of tenacity I think is is what they're going to need to really get themselves out there and uh, and and let voters know that they're an option that, yeah. uh, that they can yeah. go to. And if this is a close race, Chris Powell will be talked about. Yeah. Uh, or how did he impact the race? I mean, if Edmonton falls by one or two points, you're going to probably hear Democrats you know, saying you know, that maybe Chris Powell stole some votes. I think it could be the other way around, yeah. too. Right. Republicans who are kind of frustrated with the party, but they're definitely not going to go the Democrats, you know, may be voting for, uh, voting for the Libertarian candidate. So if Kevin Stitt were to lose by just a couple points, I think you'll see Republicans who are looking at Chris Powell maybe with a little bit of anger <laughs> in their eyes. And but, once again, a third party candidate gets blamed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it just shows kind of the. I mean, even though you know he's pulling in the single digits and is not going, you know, is is, is not going to win, um, he could still have a factor right. uh, in, a, in a race that's expected to be oh, yeah. to be close. So if you move down the ballot, what's interesting we have such a competitive uh, gubernatorial c- campaign between Edmondson and Stitt, um, but you have several other statewide seats that really don't appear to be competitive at all. Right. And, and I, by that I mean Republicans are likely to sweep these seats, lieutenant governor, state superintendent, attorney general. Right. Look at, looking at the list, I don't really see any that, uh, that the Democrats would have a really good chance of taking. Um, there, there are a couple of statewide seats that I, um, like for instance, the corporation commissioner, um, that'll probably continue to be Bob Anthony, but gosh, I, you know, I think about what if uh, Ashley McRae uh, wins. Um, just her, her, you know, political views um, are so different than than any other corporation commissioner in the past. I mean, she's she's uh, been an activist against mm-hmm. uh, pipelines yeah. here in Oklahoma, um, and that's not what you would expect out of a corporation commissioner. Yeah, that, that's like Scott Pruitt running the EPA. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that'd be interesting <laughs> to see how that would turn out. Um, yeah, I just, you know, that also says, you know, if Republicans are going to, you know, sweep the rest of the statewide seats, that means there's going to be some Republicans who vote for Edmondson for governor and then vote for sure. Republicans the rest of the way. There's going to be some Democrats who maybe vote for some Republicans, too, uh, you know, and, and maybe Drew is one of those. <laughs> uh, we won't have to get into that too much, but people who closely observe every movement in politics um, will be aware of um, the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the... The scandal of of, of Edmondson <laughs> possibly voting for a Republican for Attorney General. Just Google it; you'll you'll find it um, if you're curious. If you move down the ballot, you come to the congressional race. Of course, that depends on where you live. We all live in, in the fifth congressional district here in Oklahoma City. Justin, we've been talking so much about you know the Democrat energy and trying to retake the House and whether Kendra Horn, the Democratic nominee, would be a part of that wave. Is she going to be? So much to talk about here. How much time do we have? <laughs> we have? I'll cut you off. Uh, Let's start with uh, the breaking news just an hour or two ago. Uh, 
Michael Bloomberg's PAC, uh, Independence USA, will drop $400,000 for Horn on an ad that I saw this morning. Uh, bit of an attack ad, and then kind of ends with a positive note on Horn. It's education. It uh, was largely a state issue, and Russell will tell you this. Russell's been somewhat frustrated by talks of education. Talked to him a couple of days ago about this. He really thinks he, he likes to someone mockingly say that Horn should be running for a state legislature seat because she brings up state issues a lot. This ad does that. It, it talks about education. It ties Russell to Fallon, as Horn has tried to do. Mm -hmm. And $400,000 in ads from this one pack from now until Election Day, including, I looked at the ad buys. It's the OU game. It's every newscast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, Wheel of Fortune, which you always talk yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> It's a big, it's a big expensive spot, by the way. So, so is this because the race is uh, there's a lot of undecideds in this race? Because I mean, who are you, who are you going to convince this late in the game? It tells me that national Democrats see this race as tightening. We've kind of been waiting for outside money to come in because we felt like if that happened, we'll know the race is getting close. Horn feels like the race is getting close, and this is an indication that somebody's polling somewhere indicates that this is closed because this is a pack, an outside pack, spending $400,000 in, that's by far the largest ad buy we've had in this race. Yeah. I, the other ad buys added up might be around that much. I mean, this is just a remarkably different thing. So, Could this also be just, you know, national groups that, you know, they, they've, they've got a few days to spend the money and, you know, they're, you know, they got some left and they're just throwing it at this race? It could be. Michael Bloomberg has money to burn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, it's still odd that I think you would choose this race. This has been pretty ignored at the, the national level, and so this to me is a symbol that somebody sees this race as tightening beyond just what you know, Kendra Horn's gonna tell everyone, which is yeah. that she's within striking distance, but perhaps she needs to get within striking distance. I mean, the polling has not been great in this race. We talked about kind of the lack of polling in the state, um, but it has indicated that she's down by probably 10 points I would guess it's probably a little closer than that, maybe somewhere between five and 10, but she needs to be within five points if you're even gonna have a shot on election day. She's counting on Democratic enthusiasm being high. I think that's a safe mm -hmm. bet, I think it will be. Uh, whether that's gonna be enough though, this is still a Republican seat with the Republican incumbent who is, doesn't have any major scandal or anything. So this seems like uh, she's hoping to get within striking distance. I think she probably can, but it's still gonna have to be a pretty remarkable night on election night for her to win. It yeah. could happen. I mean, you know, you talk, I just, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, Russell is kind of, you know, complaining a little bit that local politics is driving, you know, this kind of national race. In the past, it's kind of been the opposite, right? I mean, there's been pr probably plenty of state uh, legislators uh, who have had to run for office having to answer for what's happening out of the White House, especially during the Obama years, you know, a deeply unpopular president here in Oklahoma. So, I don't know, it might be just kind of a reversal, you know, the shoes on the other foot here a little bit. Um, you know, but if, if, if we want to dissect, you know, if we want to start with a horn win and then dissect what that looks like, you talk, you talk about the Democratic enthusiasm. I think you also have to talk about the fact that you do have a governor race where the Democrat is... Um, you know, is, is competitive. Yep. Um, you know, some of these legislative seats, seats that we'll get into here in a second, um, in the northwest part of the city, that Democrats think they can flip. So that's going to take some Democrats coming out to the to the polls um, and doing well there. So there is there is kind of a groundwork here for you know maybe a boost in Democratic voters, especially in Oklahoma City, that if Horn were to win, that this is what it would look like. Yeah, 
That's right. And uh, one thing that kind of came to mind, I don't know if it's, um, it's relevant or not, but you know, this is $400,000 of getting Ken Horan's name out there. Uh, if Steve Russell wins, there's a chance that um, he may not run for that seat again in, in another two years. He may decide to uh, run for, I think, is, is Inhofe the next senator up for election? In 20, yes. In, okay, so you know, Inhofe may decide it's time to retire. Uh, Steve Russell, I think, would be a candidate for that. You think so? Yeah, I think so. Um, he, he, he'll probably, uh, a lot of people will probably try to convince him to run. Um, and so, you know, with the name recognition, Kendall Horn can um, can have a, a leg up on any other Democrat deciding to run for con Congressional District 5 again in two years. I guess it wouldn't shock me, but it also wouldn't surprise me to see him just not seek re-election at some point in the future. I mean, that could I don't know, I mean, you, maybe Justin, you would know better than any, but uh, I guess I could see it going e either way. I mean, Russell's never seemed like someone who, you know, and I actually kind of, you know, I mean this to sound bad, like that actually, I don't, he never really seems like someone who really deeply enjoys, <laughs> you know, Washington, D.C. in politics. I mean, once you get in there, you kind of enjoy the power and stuff, and he's obviously seeking re-election, so he wants to remain there. Um, I guess I've always just thought, and I have no reason to say this, that at some point he may just, you know, not seek re-election. Re but to your point, whether he's not seeking re-election or he's seeking another seat, you know, Horn would have the name recognition and be well-positioned to... Um, you know, jump in the race and maybe be an early front runner. And going back to dissecting this race, you have to go back a ways. It seems like years ago, but last year there were um, people had to ask Steve Russell if he was running. He got off to such a slow start. There wasn't. There were even rumors that he might not run this year. Yeah. And he ended up. He made very clear. Yes, I'm yeah. running. But he had to make that clear. He, he got off to somewhat of a slow start. He's not someone who likes the game of politics. He doesn't like campaigning. He really doesn't like fundraising. He'll tell you he's not a very good fundraiser, and he's not. Uh, for an incumbent, it's un unusual. Horn raised more than him in this election, and that is highly unusual for a, a first-time candidate to beat out an incumbent in fundraising. But it's because Russell doesn't like fundraising, frankly. So if you went back to you know dissecting this race, it, it, it probably is a little closer than it needs to be because Russell just... He's not a, a great. He's not a great candidate in that in acting as a candidate. I mean, he's, he's a fine candidate as a uh, as a representative of that seat. But he's just he's not someone who likes to be out on the campaign trail or do a lot of public events, campaigning, fundraising, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, but you know, one thing he also isn't is he's not. He's, he, you know, he's not a Trump clone. He's not one of these Republicans that's been easy to really just peg as you know, a, a Trump guy, and a lot of these competitive House seats, that's what the battle is, is you see a Democrat taking on uh, a Republican incumbent, you know, who's uh, having to struggle with, you know, you, you want that enthusiasm that Trump has with his base, but at the same time, especially in these kind of suburban and moderate areas, you're kind of wanting to distance yourself from the president. And Russell has been someone who hasn't been afraid to kind of somewhat throw shade at the president for some of the things that he says. And he hasn't been waving the Trump banner, at least not as much as some others. And so, um, you know, maybe that's, you know, I think a year ago we wondered if Horn was going to try to, you know, peg Russell as, you know, kind of a, a Trump Republican um, and try to kind of, you know, ride that wave of Democratic support. But she really hasn't done it and probably hasn't been able to do it, really. Yeah, well, I don't Trump's think you, I don't think you do that. I mean, his approval rating is about 50% in the district, so it doesn't help much of anyone to either tie themselves to Trump or tie their opponent to Trump. He's just kind of in the middle. And I know it's very unusual for Donald Trump to not be a factor in politics, but in this race, he's just kind of a non-factor. In the debate, the words Donald Trump were never said, 
Russell said President Trump at one point, but only to indicate that he had had bills signed by Obama and Trump. That was the only mention of Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unusual. Trump's not a factor in any race in Oklahoma right now. I mean, and that's and that's kind of a, a little bit unusual because he seems to be a factor in ev- everywhere. The endorsement probably helps Stitt a little bit. It would just turn out. I a mean, bit. I think some people might be more inspired to come out for Stitt. But, but Stitt doesn't talk about the president often. Um, you know, I spent some time in, in, in the suburbs talking to voters and wanting to know, kind of, you know, especially Republican women who were voting for Edmondson, and Trump's name never came up. And you probably, from the outside looking in, would expect Trump be a dominant factor. Education was was the main was the main point. Um, then I talked, you know, to some of Sitt's female supporters um, because there's so much talk about female voters this year and whether or not how Trump is going to impact it. But talked to some of Sitt's female supporters. He said, "I think he's got the good qualities of the president. And I don't think he's got the bad qualities of it." And so it was just kind of a non non factor for them. But uh, but yes, it is interesting. As Trump is the fact the, the dominant factor across the nation on election night, he's not much of a factor here in Oklahoma. Um, especially in that CD5 race, which is really, really interesting. So moving down the ballot, once again, this will depend on where you live, but we have, um, I think we have 90 House and Senate seats um, that are gonna be on the ballot across the state. Most of them are gonna probably stay uh, in control of whatever party has them, although there may be, there's quite a few incumbents not on the ballot, so there's gonna be some new faces. Uh, Dale, if you're, uh, if you're Democrats, um, where are you eyeing the best chance to flip some seats? You're looking at um, urban parts of the state, northwestern Oklahoma City, um, maybe a couple of districts in Tulsa, but, but probably not. Um, uh, I know that uh, out in eastern Oklahoma, there are a couple of uh, Republican candidates who are really working hard trying to, uh, to keep their seats. Um, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with more local issues because you know everyone who um, could have been pegged as someone against the uh, the teacher pay raise. They're already out of office, mm-hmm. um, and so I think now you're getting to a little bit more of the inherent uh, frustration with incumbents, and maybe some local issues. Uh, maybe the the candidate said something wrong at a at a pie supper or something. Yeah, pie supper. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, uh, I'll be looking at like Marty Quinn and Claire Moore, uh, Scott Fettgatter, I've, I've heard his name mentioned. Um, uh, and, you know, this is without polling in any of these races. Yeah. Nobody's going to pay for a poll uh, unless you're running in that seat. Um, uh, uh, here you're looking at uh, Irvin Yin's former seat, mm-hmm. Senator Yin, who was beaten by a Republican in the primary. And now, you know, uh, he's got that race. And also David Holt's old seat, uh, also in northwestern Oklahoma City. Um, and uh, uh, so, yeah, you know, th- there's there's a chance the Democrats could pick up uh, several seats uh, going uh, going into this election. And it's something that that I don't want to qu- leave the podcast without mentioning is that um, uh, one of the numbers that we'll be watching is the number of Democrats in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to pick up about five, maybe six. Um, need to double check the math uh, seats uh, to be able to. Um, uh, prevent an, uh, a veto override. Mm. Uh, should you know, uh, Drebensen get into office, uh, he may decide to veto as something that the Republicans pass. Uh, if the Democrats have 33 members in the House, they could um, uh, prevent an override of that veto. You know, and if Kevin Kevin Stick gets in and he uh, he vetoes something that the Republicans pass, which I wouldn't put it past them. No. Um, no. He seems like the guy who would who would be more than willing to veto a Republican bill. Um, 
uh, you know, the Democrats could play their hand there. So, you know, we're looking at that, that magical number, th 33 yeah. uh, Democrats. If they can get to that point, uh, their their power really increases going into the next term. We could see a Dem Democratic caucus and Kevin Stitt alliance uh, next spring. That would just be, uh, just really shake things up. Um, you know, we, we've talked so much about the incumbents that lost their, their seats this summer. You know, the primaries were bad for Republican incumbents, but they were probably great for Republicans. Because in a lot of these districts, you saw uh, controversial incumbents who voted against a teacher pay raise, tax increases, um, get off the ballot. And that probably was great news for the party as a whole because they thought, you know, going into November, we're not going to have those controversial candidates. I think there are several seats where, because um, all this revolt against incumbents, remember, so far, it's just been within the party, right? I mean, these, are, these were not Democrats voting against these Republicans. Right. These were Republicans voting in the primary. And so now you've got that off. Now you maybe have more of a moderate um, on the seat where Republicans may feel like, hey, it makes the seat safer. The one exception, you know, you referenced it, uh, maybe Senator Yen's seat here in Northwest Oklahoma City, Senate District 40, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting him off the ballot all of a sudden made Democratic Carrie Hicks probably the front runner simply because, you know, of the amount of money that she's raised, how, how long she's been running, her name recognition. Um, it really kind of put that, that seat in play. So that may be the one example uh, or the one outlier. But for the most part, I think Republicans are probably assuming that they're going to have a decent night because a lot of their kind of controversial candidates tied to the teacher pay raise uh, uh, bill uh, have, have already lost their jobs and are, and are gone. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I I'm not willing to put money on Democrats picking up any seats. You know, they it could just it could come out in a wash, or, or Republicans could take back a couple of seats. I know there are some uh, Democratic candidates who um, are really working hard to to keep their seats because it's it's really in doubt for them. Um, but you know, at, at the end of the day, I think probably um, the Democrats may pick up one or two seats that the Republicans had. Um, it'll uh, they definitely won't be able to take control of the House. I think. You know, you, you may have to have a scrying stone looking 20 years in the future to, to be able to say something like that. It's just not really feasible uh, this election. But, um, you know, a couple seats, sure, right? Yeah, which, and the Democrat for, you know, a, a party that's been an extreme minority for the last several years, they definitely would yeah. celebrate that. Well, you know, it's, there, there were so few Democrats in the legislature, um, uh, you know, compared to, say, 10, 15 years ago. It's, it's just been a... a, a, a dramatic shift. It's been devastating for uh, Democratic politics in Oklahoma because they have so few uh, elected officials on the state level. Uh, and uh, So naturally you would expect the pendulum to swing back the other way at some point. And I think it's uh, on a pretty full swing right now. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I we talk about this, we're focused on Tuesday, but when you talk about looking ahead a little bit, I mean, these races are important because these are, you know, these are where your statewide candidates come from, usually running for, um, you know, these legislative seats and working their way up. Obviously, you know, you look at someone like Kevin Stitt, that's an exception, and, and you know, maybe we, we would see a, a, a democratic response in four years if Kevin Stitt were to win, an outsider. But, um, you know, I was talking to a, a, a political science professor who was like, you know, Edmonton may have been the only Democrat that could have really put a competitive race up. Uh, I mean, he's still, I mean, the that beat, that, that bench is not deep for the Democrats right now. And they got to start, you know, uh, kind of building that up. It's one reason why, other than the governor's race, we're not seeing really competitive statewide, statewide elections on yeah. Tuesday. No, that's right. It's so few uh, Democratic candidates to, to pull from for these, uh, these races. I mean, you look down the ballot, look at the Democrats whose name we already know. Uh, for these statewide statewide races, there's not many. Anastasia Pittman for lieutenant governor. Uh, who else? Um, 
not, or, not really. Know, I don't the think. Person would know. Yeah, that's yeah. probably about it. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, uh, my, uh, Mike Shelton. Well, that's for uh, Kenny Assessor. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, there's there's not many uh, Democrats um, who you know have the political star power to make that leap. Yeah, and you know, th they may be kind of glad that Drew Edmondson was still out there and, and viable and, and willing to to run a race for governor, um, and that he could possibly serve another eight years in uh, yeah. should he get uh, elected and then reelected. Yeah, but for Democrats, you know, you take a look at you know, you kind of quote unquote your rising stars. Um, you know, a Carrie Hicks, a Julia Kurt, people who are flipping these seats, you know, have, have run really good campaigns. Uh, you know, they, maybe they are people that, you know, 10 years from now we see running for these statewide seats. Cindy Munson, who did it a few years ago, flipped a seat. You know, these are the, these are the types, this is the type of path traditionally you take um, to, to running those bigger elections. Although maybe everything is topsy-turvy now. I mean, you know, uh, you see people running for president, for governor, who've never run for political office and are having success. So uh, maybe the maybe the games, the rules of the game are, are changing. Well, we have not spent much time at all, and we're not going to today, talking about the state questions. But there are state questions in about, I think, five, right? Or the fact that I can't answer that directly is, just kind of speaks to how much attention we haven't, we haven't given to it. Yeah, but it cut off. I think there are five. Um, so, are there any state questions that you feel like are going to are, are you know are really going to be close? I mean, I was looking at these. I did an election chat this yeah. week, and I thought most of them are probably likely to pass. Uh, the state question related to ad valorem taxes for schools, letting them use that for operational expenses, is probably the one that's been talked about the most. Schools are against it. Um, yeah, on a local level, um, that one is uh, is pretty controversial. Like you talk to educators, you talk to administrators, superintendents, folks like that. Uh, they are dead set against this, um, and uh, you know it's for for a number of reasons. But um, I, I don't know if it's really translated well to a lot of voters. You know, I, I don't think I've seen any ads for it, um, and uh, it just generally hasn't been talked about a lot. This this field of state questions, surprisingly, I don't think was um, I don't think any of these were written to get people out to vote. Uh, no. You know, you've seen before in Oklahoma state questions appear on the ballot that are meant to uh, drive voter enthusiasm, and you just don't see it here. Um, uh, another one that could possibly be in trouble is the Vision Fund. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw some polling data that showed that uh, it was probably the, the closest to having uh, the, like, the least amount of support, um, and that may just be due to... Uh, uh, maybe a little bit of ignorance on the part of voters not really understanding what it is. Maybe they read it and they think it's a new tax on something or, you know, you're, you're doing something with oil and gas revenue. Um, um, you know, and, and what it does, essentially, it, it doesn't raise any taxes. It just holds back some of that oil and gas revenue into a trust fund um, that the legislature can barely touch. You know, they could take a small percentage out each year, but it's just going to grow and grow and grow and, and become kind of like a secondary rainy day fund uh, for the state. Yeah. I don't know. This might be a year when, you know, voters who aren't sure about a state question, they just see oil and gas and taking money and they're like, you know what, I'm just, I don't know what, I'm, I'm not going to approve this. I'm, I, just, I don't feel, you I've know, like I know. I'm surprised by the opposition to the optometry question that came out seemed kind of at the end, or maybe I just missed it before, but it seemed like a lot of opposition came out at the end, uh, has come out here recently, and a lot of money is being spent to oppose it. There's a lot of money on the other side, too, even more, I believe. Yeah. Um, but it just seems like, it kind of reminds me of the, the opposition to the medical marijuana um, ballot question that you might as well just set your money on fire. It looks like it, it's going to pass, and then a bunch of money is spent at the end to try to oppose it. I think it's 
too little, too late. I mean, the only thing I can say about that question is, uh, you know, I hope voters read the state question. Um, th there's a lot of, that I see in ads and uh, and marketing uh, on both sides of this issue that have little to do with what the actual question is. There's a lot of hyperbole in this. Um, oh. I think to the detriment <laughs> to the detriment of voters. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, for instance, um, you know, law students are taught uh, when, when they when they start trying to develop an argument or, or thinking about an issue, they, they go to the extreme, right, and then work your way back uh, in. Um, and I, I, th I think, you know, probably both sides of, of this campaign started at the extremes and just haven't worked their way back in. They're still, you know, talking about what's the worst, absolute worst that can happen and what's, you know, how uh, amazing this is going to be for everybody. And, you know, that's why I say it's, you know, maybe a detri de detriment to voters because, you know, it's it, it, uh, not a lot of it is actually talking about the finer points of, of what the actual state question would be. So I, I would encourage people to actually read the state question, not just what's on the, uh, the the short title there, but you know read what it would do and just kind of think about how it would affect them. Yeah, well, several paragraphs of explanation on all the state questions, so it uh, would slow you down to read it, but mm -hmm. uh, it would be worth your time to make sure you're making the, the right vote. So, well, we've got a big election on Tuesday. We've been talking about it for a year. It's finally here. Um, we've got a lot of great political coverage uh, coming over the weekend in the Oklahoma and at newsok.com and then a full slate of coverage on election day well into the night until the results come in and then analyzing what we see uh, moving forward. But uh, yeah, be sure to pick up a copy of this week's Oklahoma. And if you're not a subscriber, consider it. Uh, throw it into the print edition or a newsok.com, a digital subscription. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, this is only a slice of the uh, political coverage that you get uh, in the Oklahoma, both online and in print. So Dale, Justin, thanks for your time. I'm Ben, and uh, thanks for watching. We will see you on election day and after the election to talk about what happens. Uh, we're still not clear what the results will look like, but whatever it is, it'll be some interesting storylines coming out of it. For The Oklahoman, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.